All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. So we're going to work through this. Hopefully we'll finish today. If not, we'll work on it some more next week. So here in verse 18, John addresses little children. Now, he's not saying this because he's talking to little children. This is a term of affection that John is using to talk to the church. These are his children. These are his spiritual children. He has birthed these children, so to speak, by the Spirit. He's preached the gospel to them. He's discipled them, and he considers them his children. And so this is his affectionate term for the believers that he's writing to. And he says to them, little children, it is the last hour And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So this message, the title of this message is Know the Truth, Know the Time. Know the truth, know the time. John writes, little children, it is the last hour. Now, I'm not going to really, the focus of my message isn't so much Um, what John is specifically referring to here. And I'll just tell you, there are people, good people, who differ. What does this term last hour mean? Is he talking about the end of the world? Is he talking about the second coming of Jesus? Little children, it is the last hour. He's not saying the last hour is coming. The last hour is going to be... He says, it is, right now, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. So let me read you some uh, scriptures. Um, Romans chapter 13. You can turn over there and follow along if you'd like, or probably is up on that screen. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul writes, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Paul says, Do this knowing the time, that it is high time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul wrote that to Timothy. He says, know this, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. John is writing to these believers and he says, little children, it is the last hour. We know it's the last hour because many antichrists have come. What is an antichrist? It is anyone against Christ. That's right. So he says, you've heard that the antichrist is coming and now even many antichrists, plural, have come. Let me read another scripture to you. Let's go to 1 first, uh, first Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter writes, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, Peter is writing this, let's just round it off to a whole number, 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, Peter said, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So we're not going to belabor this point, but this is a point I think worth mentioning because you may read this scripture and say, okay, it is the last hour. John says that. Paul says this. Peter says this. Well, if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago and we're still here, what's the deal? Now, critics would say, see, this proves that the Bible's not true. It proves that Jesus didn't really know what he was talking about because everybody thought that the world was going to end then, that Jesus was going to come back then, and it didn't happen. And here we are. So we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Really more than a couple of questions, but let's just deal with two or three questions. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe the Scripture is the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you unequivocally, I don't know what you believe, but I unequivocally believe the Scripture is the truth. So if the Scripture is the truth, is the Scripture contradicting itself? What's happening here? Is it the last hour or is it not the last hour? Well, very clearly... John, Paul, Peter say it is the last hour. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. So what does this term last hour mean? Well, some people believe that it does speak of, that John is here speaking of the end of the world as we know it, or the end of this age, the second coming of Christ. There are others who believe, and I fall into this camp, I believe actually as we work our way through John, we're going to see I believe that John is talking about both things. But there is something that we know that happened in history that we can't deny. And that is, in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Roman. At the hands of the Roman army. They destroyed the, they, they came into the city they brought great destruction to the city and they destroyed the temple. And in 70 AD, with the destruction of the temple, that was the end of the Jewish age. That was the end of the Judaic system of sacrifice. That was the end of the ability of Israel, the nation of Israel, to keep the law the way God had commanded them they couldn't offer sacrifice because the only place acceptable to offer sacrifice was in the temple. And when God took the temple away from them, they were left with no way to fulfill the law of Moses and to offer sacrifice. And that 
for all practical purpose, was the end of the age. It was the end of that age of the Mosaic law of the sacrificial system that Israel had lived under for 1,500 years when God gave the law to Moses and to Israel. And I believe that this letter was written some years before 70 AD, as I believe the book of Revelation was written some years before 70 AD. In fact, I believe the whole canon of Scripture as we know it was written before 70 AD. There's good people that disagree on that. But when you read these warnings from these writers, and we're going to look in a little bit at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, and Jesus no doubt was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24, which is why there were no Christians in Jerusalem when the Roman army came in there and destroyed the temple. The Christ, where were the Christians? They had already left. Why did they leave? Because Jesus told them what to look for, and when they saw it, to flee for the hills and don't even go back and get your cloak. And there was great animosity between the Jewish believers of that day who fled Jerusalem and those who remained because they felt like those Jewish followers of Jesus were traitors because they did not stay and defend the city and defend the temple. They left. Well, why did they leave? They left because Jesus told them, when you see this, know that the abomination that makes desolate is here. And leave. If you're pregnant, pray that it doesn't happen. And you can go. Pray that you recognize, you see, and you can escape. So the last hour, it is the last hour. And not, not just a antichrist or an, a single antichrist, but John says there are now many antichrists that have come. And an antichrist is simply a person who opposes Christ. Now, John is talking about specific people here. He's talking about those false teachers, those false prophets, those false apostles who were working very hard to deceive the brethren. So little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come, the opposition to Christ, the message of the gospel was in full force. By this we know that it is the last hour, because this is what Jesus warned them. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And yes, Paul, when he writes 2 Thessalonians verses 2 our chapter 2, verse 3, he speaks of the, the, the man of perdition, the son of perdition. There is a man. So yes, there is a, an antichrist, but the antichrist is not just a single person. And we see this, and John most vividly gives us this. It's anyone or anything, any person, any system that opposes Christ, that is antichrist. And that's not going to come just when a certain man comes, John says, it's here right now. There are many antichrists. 
So let's turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Let's go over there real quick. Matthew chapter 24. And let's see what Jesus said. Matthew 24 verse 5. Well, let's, let's read verse 4. Well, let's read, um, hold on, hold on. Let's get the context here. Let's just begin in verse 1. Chapter 24, Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So Jesus is in the temple. This, Matthew 24, this is the week before his crucifixion. So the triumphal entry has taken place. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is staying here. He's staying just outside of Jerusalem uh, in the house of Lazarus. And he's coming daily in and out of Jerusalem. And he's daily in the temple. He's daily in the temple teaching. And this is the context of Matthew 24. He's in the temple teaching. He'd been there teaching. And it says, when Jesus went out and departed from the temple, his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now let's pause there for a moment. These disciples are thinking about their Messiah. So they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And their way of thinking is, you're the Messiah. You are going to literally, physically, militarily overthrow the Roman Empire. And you are going to physically, with observation, overthrow this pagan empire and physically with observation you are going to install the kingdom of Israel and and restore it and so they left the temple they walked to the Mount of Olives and as they're sitting there on the Mount of Olives looking at the temple Jesus says to them you see that building not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down and they said, tell us, Jesus, when, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. So look at verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. If we read history and the history is there, you can read the Jewish historian Josephus, we know that those things happened. So after the death of Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, in the almost 40 years between Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem, that's exactly what happened. Men came professing to be the Messiah. They stirred up the Jews. They created uprisings. And by about 67 AD, the Jews were convinced that their Messiah was here, that they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire, except it wasn't Jesus, it was somebody else. That they would not be able to lose to the Romans. And so they just stood 
against them until Rome literally came and put down the rebellion that resulted in the destruction of the temple. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, is telling them exactly what's going to happen so that they would not be caught off guard. So when John, let's go back to John. When we go back to John, and John says, it is the last days, John is now just literally years away from that day. They didn't know when the destruction would come, but Jesus said, this generation will not pass away before these things are fulfilled. Jesus wasn't talking about a generation that would be 2,000 years in the future. He said to his disciples, you will see these things. You will experience these things. In fact, let's just let's keep going there for a moment in Matthew 24. Let's go to Matthew 24 and look at verse 24. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. And then in verse 25, he says to his disciples, see, I have told you beforehand. He says, you, I've told, because you are going to live this. You are going to experience this. You're going to see these false Christs rise up. You're going to see these rebellions take place. You're going to see these signs that speak of my coming. <coughs> now, I said I wasn't going to do this. can't get into this today, but we, we actually are going to do a teaching on this that has to do with us discerning the times. Jesus wasn't talking about his second coming there. He was talking about the coming judgment. We see this picture in we see this picture in Daniel. When Daniel has the vision of of one like a son of God, the son of man, it's the term Daniel uses. It's the term Jesus used to describe himself most frequently, the son of man. It's the term Daniel he saw the Son of Man come to the Ancient of Days and a kingdom was, giving, was given to him. And authority was given to him. And, and that coming was the Son of Man coming to receive the kingdom. And that language that we see of stars falling and darkness and waves and the earth being shaken, this is the same language the Old Testament uses that speaks of God's judgment coming. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. God's judgment came to the nation for their rejection of the Messiah. And the temple was destroyed and it brought about the end of that age. It is not an accident that that temple has never been rebuilt that there has never been another animal sacrifice, sin offering, Passover lamb. Nothing has ever been offered since the destruction of that temple because the ability to do that was taken away when God destroyed that temple. And how do we know that God was the one? Because Jesus prophesied it. Jesus said, I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. He said that at the end of, 
of his earthly ministry just days before he was taken to be crucified. We see him at the very beginning of his earthly ministry when he walks into the temple and he says, in three days, I'll tear this temple down and rebuild it. And they said, Jesus, it took over 40 years to build this temple. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? You're crazy. And the Bible says they did not understand that he spoke of his own body, that he was speaking spiritually of his resurrected body. So Jesus says, you see this temple, it's going to be torn down. But this temple, the true temple, what this earthly temple speaks of, which is the temple of my body, I will raise it up in three days. And that's exactly what he did. And in the same generation that Jesus spoke these words to, recorded for us in Matthew 24, that same generation saw the very destruction of that temple in 70 AD. They saw the end of that age come. So when we read John and he says, little children, it is the last hour. This is the same John who sat on that Olivet Mount with Jesus and heard the teaching of Jesus, saw Jesus point out the temple. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, especially after his resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of this was revealed and all of this was made known to them and it was not a mystery anymore. It's why they were not in Jerusalem. It's why the believers fled Jerusalem. And so when they're listening to John say, little children, it is the last hour, they are understanding on multiple levels what John is talking about. They weren't wondering how many thousands of years is it going to be before Jesus returns. They're understanding what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 is getting ready to come about. How do we know this? John says the reason we know is that there are many antichrists already come. And by this we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19 They went out from us. Who went out from us? These antichrists. These who were opposed to Christ. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now when he says this, they went out from us. They went out from among us that would cause a Jew to hearken back to a scripture in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, 13 says this, corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. This was the history of Israel. This is what Israel struggled with That's why they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. When they finally came into the promised land, it's the same thing they struggled with. That there would be those among them that would entice them to go and worship false gods. And this is why God brought the judgment of the Assyrians on them. It's why he brought the judgment of the Babylonians on them. It's why judgment continued to come to Israel, to the United Kingdom and then the kingdom was divided and you had the southern kingdom the two tribes Benjamin and Judah and you had the other 10 tribes in the northern kingdom and God continually brought judgment because Israel continually 
was adulterous and went after false gods. And so when John writes this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. It harkens back to Israel's history. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, they went out that they might be made manifest. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, Paul says the truth should bring a distinction. Those who are not of the truth are distinct from those who are of the truth. And how do we know whether they are of the truth? If they are of the truth, they will continue. They're not going to all fall away at once. They're not all going to leave at once. But here's the promise God makes to his children. If you are truly in Christ, if you truly are a child of God, you will persevere to the end. Not because you're that strong, but because he is that strong. And we know they're not of us, they're not of the truth, because they did not continue. So Paul's not just talking about people that get in a disagreement and they, they leave or, or they go join another church. He's talking about people that are not saved. People who are not of the truth. People who are opposed to Christ, who don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, who don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, who don't believe that he was resurrected physically, who don't accept, who deny the Father and the Son. He gives us the criteria here of those who are and are not of the truth. It's like today, those who say Jesus, you know, for instance, Jehovah's Witness say Jesus is the Archangel Michael. They have denied the Son. Now, they wouldn't believe they've denied the Son, but they've denied the Son. Because Jesus never said, I'm the, the archangel Michael. He said, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because they just understood that he just declared himself to go by the name that God said to Moses. Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? He said, tell them I am. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. That was God's name that he gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. What did Jesus say before Abraham was? I am. The Jews knew exactly who he declared himself to be. If you deny that, you have denied the son. And Paul and John says you are an antichrist. Then he says this. So he says, they, those who are anti-Christ, those who are opposed to Christ, those who deny Christ have gone out from among us because they were not of us. Otherwise, they would have continued with us. Verse 20, but you, now he's contrasting they, the antichrist, with you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things you have an anointing 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. The anointing that the Bible talks about is the Holy Spirit. The anointing that you have been anointed with by God is the Holy Spirit. It's not your ability to sing. It's not your ability to teach. Those may be gifts, but when the Bible talks about an anointing, are you receiving an anointing? Are you being anointed? It's not talking about some talent you have. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And when John writes, you know all things, he's not saying you're omniscient. Listen to what John, the same John who writes this little letter, is the same John who writes the Gospel of John. Look what John writes in John 16, 13 in his Gospel. The Gospel of John 16, 13 Quoting Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, it's recorded for us by John, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And here's what he's going to do for you. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to speak, not on his own authority, but he's going to speak those things that he hears from God. And he will tell you things to come. That doesn't mean that he's going to give you the ability to predict the future. It means he's going to tell you the things you need to know even before they happen. Kind of like Jesus told those disciples of his what was going to take place before the destruction of Jerusalem came. Just like John is watching what's happening in the church and these people opposed to Christ, trying to lead the believers away, knowing that the time, that the generation is passing and the Holy Spirit in John is inspiring him to write these words. Little children, it is the last hour. It's a warning because there are things about to happen. And John is warning the believers. Now is not the time for you to be playing with lies and playing with deceptions. Now is the time for you to embrace the truth, to be set free from the truth because the last hour has come and there are already many antichrists among us and they are actively working to draw you away and to deceive you and and to take you into false religion, into false worship. And if you depart with them, that means you are not of us. So in basically saying, don't follow them. You don't need to listen to what they're saying. You don't need to listen to their lies, but you have an anointing. You have the Holy Spirit. Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the spirit of truth that bears witness to the truth. You don't have to, when he says you know all things, it's not that you know everything, that you're an omniscient 
person. It means that you have a foundation and a knowledge of the truth in a relationship with the one who is the truth that gives you the ability to discern what is true and what is a lie. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. In Romans 8, 16, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? The most important way for you to know that you're a child of God is that the Spirit bear witness that you are a child of God. It doesn't mean you understand all the mysteries of God. It doesn't mean you've got the Scripture memorized. It means that something has transpired. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, the salvation, the preaching of the gospel. It's the power of God that breaks into your hard dark heart and makes it new, causing you to become born again. And by grace, through faith, you are saved as you trust in Jesus Christ. That is the power of God that does that. And that very moment that you're born again, the Bible says God pours his love into your heart by his spirit. Your ability to love God comes because God puts his love in you. And that spirit in you bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. It doesn't eliminate all your doubts. It doesn't eliminate all your fears. It doesn't eliminate all your questions. But it's something that you can't explain. It's something that you just know not because you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It's not what you're able to do. It's what God has done miraculously by his grace. This is the anointing that you have. And that same anointing, that same Holy Spirit that you have will lead you and guide you into truth. You know all things. You have a knowledge of the truth in Christ. And it is Christ who is omniscient. It is Christ who is the truth, and that's how we can know the truth. Now look at verse 21. John says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth. I've written to you because you know it, because you know the truth, and that no lie is of the truth. Listen, the Bible is not written to unbelievers. Did you know that? This scripture that God has inspired and recorded for us through the hands of men is not written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. It's written to those who know the truth. It's not written to those who don't know the truth. It's written to those who trust in God, those who know the truth, who have come into a knowledge of the truth by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel, on the other hand, we are commanded to preach the gospel to unbelievers and believers alike. 
I'm giving you the gospel today. But the gospel, it is the gospel that we are commanded to preach, to declare. It is the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. Now listen, the gospel's here. An unbeliever can pick this Bible up and read it and get saved by reading the Bible. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm saying God did not write and record his word for unbelievers. He did it for those who believe. Do you understand the difference? The gospel is preached to unbelievers and believers alike. And when the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, transforms your heart, now we can take God's written and inspired word and we can begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. You don't have to read the Bible to get saved. You can hear the gospel preached and get saved. But when you are saved and you become a children of God, there is a reason why God has preserved his word, recorded his word, inspired his word for us. Because now as we have become children of God and we have an anointing from the Holy One, now that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us, we can take this word and that Spirit can illuminate this word and reveal truth to us and set us free and help us grow in his grace and in his knowledge. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Remember when when Jesus was preaching, John the Baptist was in prison, and John sent some of his disciples to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, John wants to know if you are the one or should we look for another? And the response of Jesus was, you go back and you tell John that the lame walk, the poor have the good news preached to them. Oh, and by the way, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And when Jesus tells his disciples that, we might not recognize it, Because the Bible was not originally written with chapter and verse. But Jesus, when he responds to the disciples of John, go tell them that the lame walk, the blind see, the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's actually quoting the prophets. He's quoting Isaiah. Specifically, he's quoting Isaiah. These were the signs of the Messiah. That Isaiah wrote 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah wrote, this is what the Messiah will do. And Jesus responds to the disciples of John by quoting the scripture to them. Now how would the Jews of that day know whether someone was or was not the Messiah without the scripture? 
God doesn't operate apart from his word. This is why John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the logos. He is the living word. This is a written word on ink, with ink and paper, but it is conveying to us, it is revealing to us the living word of God who is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Isaiah wrote of me, I am the Messiah, I fulfill the signs. Go tell John, he doesn't have to look for another one, I am the one. But tell him not to be offended because I'm not getting him out of prison. Herod will take his head. And that's exactly what happened. Not that Jesus couldn't have got him out, he just didn't get him out. I'm sure John probably asked Jesus one day, maybe he didn't. Maybe it didn't matter anymore. You know, I think that's going to happen to us. We have a lot of questions on this side. But when we see him face to face, I think probably, this is just my opinion, most of our questions won't matter anymore. Because when we see him and we see the truth face to face, when we enter into his love and we see love face to face and we experience him face to face, all of our questions, all of our wanderings, all of our issues just won't matter anymore. What will matter is him. Because in reality, he is what truly matters right now. He is what matters. And this is what John is writing to these disciples. Don't be deceived by those who are whispering lies in your ears. Don't follow after them because if you go with them and you do not continue in the truth, it's going to mean that you were never of us. In other words, you played with salvation, but you never had salvation. You played with the truth, but you were never of the truth. You played with God and with Jesus Christ, but you were never of Jesus Christ. You pretended to be a new creation and born again, but you were never truly that. Therefore, verse 24, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Now I'm going to stop there because I won't be able to do it justice and I'm not going to keep you that late today. So I'm going to stop right there at verse 24. Because now when we get to verse 24, John is going to go back to where he started in the beginning of his letter. He's, he's bringing them full circle and reminding them of a very basic truth. We can get hung up on all kinds of doctrines. We can get hung up on all kinds of teachings. We can debate whether Matthew 24 is talking about the second coming of Jesus or whether it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. We can debate whether John writing, it is the last hour, is he talking about that destruction of Jerusalem or is he talking about some future time that we've not experienced yet. But John brings this back for these disciples right where he began with, the very foundation of what defines us and what determines whether we are truly in the truth. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick up at verse 24 of 1 John chapter 2 next week. Okay? You good with that? Now I want to invite uh, you to get ready to come to the table today.
I'm reminded in John chapter 6, when Jesus, after he had performed the miracle and he fed tens of thousands of people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a little bit of fish, and he feeds 15 to 20,000 people and have baskets full of food left over. And then the people started following Jesus around. And Jesus says to them, he said, you're not following me because I'm the Messiah. You're following me for the loaves and the fishes. You don't really care about who I am. You just care about what I might be able to give you or what I might be able to do for you. And Jesus, it's recorded for us in John 6, and and Jesus says to that multitude of Jews, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And that was so offensive. And don't think that Jesus didn't understand it. Jesus knew exactly how offensive that statement would be to those Jews. And it says, when Jesus said that, many that day who had followed Jesus departed from him and followed him no more because it was too difficult for them. And his disciples are just kind of standing there. And Jesus looks at them and they said, he says to them, are you too going to depart from me? Peter says, we have nowhere to go, Jesus. We've burned all of our bridges. We have nothing besides that. You have the words of truth. And I think what those disciples were saying in that moment was, we don't fully understand what you just said. It was horribly offensive to everyone who heard it. But even though we don't understand exactly what you just said and why you said it, we're not leaving because we've abandoned all to follow you and we believe you have the words of truth. See, it's not whether you understand everything God says in his word. It's not whether you understand everything Jesus says. The question is, is there something in you that bears witness And you know he is the truth. He has the words of truth. I believe that's exactly what those disciples said that day and says, no, we're not leaving you, Jesus, because even with all of our questions and all of our wonderings and all of the mystery, we believe you have the words of truth. You come to this table today not because you understand everything, not because you know everything, not because you have everything figured out. You come to this table today because something in you, it's called the Spirit of God, bears witness with your spirit. Not only that you are a child of God, but that He is the truth. And there is no one else, and there is nothing else for you to put your trust in that can save you, that can keep you, that can persevere you to the end. And you know that regardless of what happens, God in his grace has the power to keep me because I am his. And if you know today that you are his, I invite you to come to this table. Well, let's stand. You know, the Bible charges us to do a lot of things. God has commanded us, commissioned us, called us, charged us, whatever terminology you want to use. Here's something we should never forget. 
It is the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that changed us. It is the gospel that broke through our hardness and made us new. It is the gospel that gave us warm, soft hearts. It is the gospel that that broke through and brought to us the miracle of a new birth to become a new creation. It is the gospel that changed us. It is the gospel that continues to change us. The gospel is not just given to us so that we can be changed. The gospel is given to us so that we can bring change, so that we can affect change. Jesus calls us salt and light. And he said, you don't light a light and hide it. And what good is salt if it is not salting the things around it? We are charged, not just pastors, not just teachers, but every believer, young and old, we are charged to be light and salt. We are charged to live our lives in a way that we are consciously, purposefully, intentionally believing and working and striving to affect change. The change that only the gospel can bring. You're the carrier. You're the messenger. But you carry a powerful message. A message that has literally changed the world we live in. And continues to change that world. Don't forget the power that has been put into your hands through the gospel. Take it and change the world with it. Start with your own life and those around you and trust God to take it where he desires. Amen.